Health Hour on cliffcentral.com. Good morning and welcome to Health Hour. I'm Michelle Morehouse and I'm going to be taking you through Health Hour this morning and I want to thank you all for joining me. This morning we're going to be talking about something quite interesting. We're going to be talking about HIV self-testing. And with me I have two guests in the studio. I have Mr. Jonathan Gunthorpe who is the Executive Director from the Southern African AIDS Trust and I'll ask him to introduce himself shortly and tell you a little bit about himself. And apart from Jonathan I also have Mohamed Marjam who is a Program Manager at VITS Reproductive Health and HIV Institute. Thank you both for joining me this morning. Jonathan, it would be great just to start with you if you want to give us a brief introduction of yourself and your organization and and your interest in self-testing. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Mohammed. Um, and hi to your listeners. Uh, introduction to Southern African AIDS Trust, SAT. We're, we're a very small NGO. We work across seven countries here in Southern Africa. Um, we're a very old NGO, by the way. We're over 25 years old, which is very old in NGO years. We work with adolescents and we work with women and girls. Um, and we work largely with communities on sexual and reproductive health and rights. Yeah. And within sexual and reproductive health and rights, we work in HIV. So that's how we get to our interest in self-testing. self-testing. Okay, great. I didn't realize you guys were quite as old as that. So that's amazing. As you say, that's pretty much geriatric in NGO. In NGO years, it's yeah. over 100. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> great. And Mohammed? Hi, morning, Michelle. Good morning to Jono and the listeners. Uh, yes, I'm from the Vits Reproductive Health and HIV Institute, uh, based in Hillbrow, Johannesburg. Uh, the institute turned 21 last year. Um, it used to be the Reproductive Health and HIV Institute. It's the largest institute of its kind at the University of Advertisement, and it's led by Professor Helen Rees, uh, who's quite well known in the sexual reproductive health and HIV fields. Uh, the focus of its RHI is, as I said, reproductive health and HIV. And, and my, my role within uh, the organization is that of program manager in the quite new HIV self-testing department. Uh, and we're here to talk today about this new innovation in, in that will possibly be a game changer for us. For sure. So maybe let's kick off with that then. Maybe tell us a little bit about self-testing, ex- explaining really what self-testing is. So simplistically, a self-test is a test that a person administers on themselves. They are common self-tests that we all are fair with, such as pregnancy tests, uh, ovulation tests, and recreational drug tests. These are tests that are quite common to everybody. As the name suggests, an HIV self-test is a test that a person administers on themselves, that tests for HIV antibodies. And the major point of difference is that people interpret the HIV result themselves rather than going through a community clinic or a healthcare provider. Mm. And that seems to be the major difference. In HIV self-testing, rapid or diagnostic, uh, point-of-care diagnostic uh, tests are used, and these are the same tests that are essentially used in the clinics. Okay. Mohammed, just to stop you there, um, we work so much with this kind of thing every day, so we're quite familiar with the lingo and the jargon and that kind of thing. Just maybe explain a little bit about what you mean by rapid testing and point-of-care, just to help our listeners. Sure. So a rapid test or point-of-care test is a test where you obtain the result at the point of testing. So the difference with a laboratory-based test is that you you should take a laboratory sample that would go away and you get your result a day or two later. Whereas with point-of-care testing, a rapid, as the name suggests, it happens really quickly mm-hmm. and you get your results within 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. So when you're talking about the self-testing and you talk about rapid tests, rapid tests are also used within the clinics in the public sector. Are these the same tests or how are they different? Essentially, yes, they are the same tests. But the major difference comes in in that 
the tests that are used in the clinics are called the professional use product. So each device manufacturer that produces these HIV tests would produce a professional use product. Mm. And the difference between a professional use product and the self-test is the sensitivity, the specificity, or would you like to simplistically say the accuracy and reliability of the test and how it's how it's measured and how it's calculated. So in, in South Africa, the HIV self-tests that are going to be used by the device manufacturers that are looking to enter the market are the exact same professional use devices. Mm-hmm. However, they need to go through a different process for evaluation of the robustness of this, the interp- whether people can interpret their results and how, how well these work in a in a lay setting, if mm-hmm. you want to call it. So in terms of that then, I mean, how user-friendly are these tests? They're very extremely user-friendly, and I actually brought two with me today to to demonstrate, uh, if need be. Mm. Um, There are two types of tests that are currently out in the market. We have the oral-based test, and we have the finger prick test. Yes. Um, And within that, there are a variety of uh, device manufacturers that have come up with products. Uh, Most people say that the oral-based test is the easiest. Obviously, people might be scared of needles, finger Mm. pricks. And the oral-based test is really simple. Um, You basically... Take out the device, you swab your your, your, your gums, and mm. you you dip it into a solution. You leave it for fifteen to twenty minutes, and you can voila, you get your result. Okay. Uh, finger prick, um, you know, it's uh, different mechanisms for different devices um, and different uh, ways of working. But yeah, they're really quite simple and easy to use. And one we'll be talking about a little bit later today is, is the research that we're doing at RHI and looking at whether anybody can do these tests and can anybody interpret their results. And, and that's essentially what we want to find out before we, we move forward. Yes, okay, great. Okay, so at the moment, in terms of we're talking about self-tests, are they easily available? I mean, I, I know that I've a couple of times with all the traveling I've been doing that every now and again you stop at the airport and you go to the pharmacy and there's a shelf that's either full <laughs> or it's completely empty. It's like somebody comes in every now and again and buys up all the stock and goes on a frenzy. Yeah, the answer to that is yes and no, mm. that they are available informally in South Africa. Uh, so we, we need to talk about the landscape of HIV self-testing yes. in South Africa, and it's largely unregulated. And what I mean by unregulated, it means there's no law, there's no decree, there's no statute, there's no regulation governing the sale of self-tests in South Africa. However, device manufacturers, reputable device manufacturers that are known worldwide are hesitant to enter the market because of the you know, we're not sure what's happening in this space. However, you can purchase devices online. Um, last year, they were on sale on Groupon. And uh, like you said, the airport. But the funny thing about the sale of HIV devices at the airport is that you can only buy it on the, once you've passed password control, yes. you cannot buy it on the South African side of the of the airport. So, yes. yes, they are available. And there have been reports of self-tests or HIV tests, these are just common HIV tests that are being sold uh, at pharmacies, uh, independent pharmacies. And the major difference is that these are not geared towards being a self-test. They are the professional use product with the professional use instructions. And the instructions are the most important part when it comes to a self-test. Okay, great. So in terms of of the tests that, I mean, the ones that are available at the airport, what are these ones? Finger prick ones or are they all tests or… All of which I've seen have our finger prick tests. Uh, there are no oral devices available there. Um, and, yeah, even the packaging that it comes in, um, you know, you could call it straight out of China, if you want to call it. Um, look, we, we're not too sure about the, how these devices have been evaluated. Uh, 
In the South, in, in, in the clinic space, in the, in the private, uh, pri- public sector and private sector hospitals, all devices that are on, in the market have been evaluated at a minimum through the National Institute for Communicable Disease or the NICD, which is based out in Sandringham, have done some sort of minimum evaluation on these devices. I'm not too sure whether these devices that have been touted as self-tests have actually been evaluated at all. Yes, okay. It's quite interesting because you mentioned these are sort of like the Chinese-type tests, so I hope the instructions are better than they are on the flat-pack furniture, self-assemble things and all of that. <laughs> Inevitably, there's a couple of pieces missing and a few extra steps in really interesting language. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So just uh, maybe to ask Jonathan, just to ask you a bit of a question, what is the need for self-testing in South Africa? Enormous. Mm-hmm. Would you like more? I would like more. <laughs> Man, um, a few words today. I think, I think, I mean, like, it's not just South Africa, it's across the whole of, of Eastern and Southern Africa. Our, in fact, South Africa is one of the highest test rates in the whole region of the 22 priority countries. So there, there are other countries in our, our neighboring states where less than a quarter of the people know their status. Yeah. Um, and I think listeners might know the, the UN AIDS 1990-90. Uh, campaign and slogan, which is about getting people tested mm. and on treatment and r- suppressing viral load. And if we don't do that, i.e. if we don't get 90% of people knowing their status, mm. we're never going to beat HIV. Um, we're very, very far from that now. So we have to find something, as Mohammed said, something that's game-changing. Yes. Um, doing more of the same over and over and over again, as you know, is the definition of insanity, <laughs> yes. if you can expect something different to come out of it. <laughs> and we have kind of been doing more over and over again mm. of the same thing across mm. Southern Africa on testing. Um, there are a hundred different reasons why someone in a community, for example, would benefit from self-testing. Um, access to clinics. Yes. They're far away. They cost money to get to. Uh, if you could have a self-test kit, if you could get it in a spaza shop, mm. um, we may be a long way away from that in terms of regulations. And I think I'm sure Mohammed will talk more about that later. But getting your result quickly is also something useful. Mm. And I think we'll begin to discuss a bit later Issues like PrEP, issues like test and treat mm-hmm. um, or treat all that are coming out of WHO. I think also there are – if you're in a, a, a discordant couple, for example, mm-hmm. if one one person in the couple is HIV positive and one is negative, you might want to know your status more often than yes. somebody else. And you don't want to be going to a clinic every time you want to check your status. So having access to a kit, really, really useful. Um, there are other circumstances, for example, in sex work, where you would want yeah. to know your status as often as possible. We know, and I think you've talked on the program before about some of the dangers of sex work mm-hmm. with regard to transmission. Um, and I think that being able to check your status at your own convenience is a big, big issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are others, but let's let's stop there. Yeah, sure. yeah Michelle, if I could just add to that, yeah. uh, what John has said, and 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 uh, uh, obtaining the first ninety is absolutely critical for us. Can I ask you just to pause there and just to go through the three nineties for people? Sure. So the joint United the joint United Nations program on HIV and AIDS, or UN AIDS as we know, uh, have come up with a set of targets for yeah. the elimination of new HIV infections by the year twenty thirty. Um, but in order to achieve this target. Uh, there are certain goals which need to be achieved by 2020. And according to mathical, uh, mathematical modeling, it suggests that if we achieve these targets of 90% of all individuals knowing their status, this, that's the first 90. The second 90 is 90% of all people who are HIV infected on treatment. Yeah. And the third 90 is 90% of all people that are on treatment being virally suppressed. And what we mean by virally suppressed is that the viral load within each cell of the human body is below a detectable limit. 
So achieving these targets, uh, it's absolutely critical that we get the testing right. Mm. In 2014, South Africa had its best testing year, and government figures state that we had close to 60% of the country knowing their status or testing for HIV. However, if I'm not mistaken, there was a 20-month period where 20 million people tested. Certainly, yeah. There was a huge drive from mm. the Minister of Health. However, <coughs> there is still a substantial <coughs> testing gap that exists mm. in order for us to obtain this first 90. Now, if we look at it, we are not suggesting that HIV self-testing replaces conventional facility-based sure. testing in any way. Mm. What we're saying is that the public healthcare system is overburdened. Yeah. It's fraught with its challenges. There are long waiting times. There are needless counseling. There is identification of negative people within the system. There is, um, there is, you know, mistakes being made on the part of, of the person doing the test and all putting a major burden on the system. What mm-hmm. we're saying is that HIV self-testing is an innovative, a supplementary strategy that can be used, uh, to, 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 to bridge this testing gap. Okay, great. So just in terms of that, I mean, do we have any idea how many people tested last year for HIV in South Africa? Yeah, the figure that was, I mean, in 2015, it's still too early to get mm. the official figures, but we're looking in the region around 20 million people, which okay. is a substantial drop to about 40% of the, of the population. So, yeah, a lot of work needs to be done mm. in order for people, to, and I think it comes down to accessibility. And one of the major... Um, parts of the market that's not testing are adult males. Yes. And these are common adult males in your workplace. Mm. And one of the largest untested groups, the other one being adolescents. Yes. Ages 15 and above. So these are the type of populations that we need to access. And, you know, having a funky HIV self-test might, you know, might be more attractive to an adolescent than actually having to go wait in a queue at a public health care facility. For sure, for sure. Jonna, you mentioned something around PrEP, so if we can just pause and explain what PrEP is. PrEP is the um, pre-exposure prophylaxis, so that is when you give somebody something like one of the HIV drugs to actually prevent them from getting HIV um, before they're being exposed or or during the exposure. And I know that we're looking towards a time when the World Health Organization has now released guidelines and is recommending that PrEP be made available for people and I guess in a situation in South Africa where we have such a huge burden of HIV if we were to introduce PrEP that is one of the ways we can kind of turn the tap off with new infections Uh, but I, uh, I would imagine that when you're introducing something like PrEP you need to be testing regularly because you don't want somebody to be on PrEP when, in fact, they are now positive and need to be on, on antiretrovirals. So, uh, I mean, can you comment on that at all? Um, Dicey one, that one, because I think, I mean, I'd look to Mohammed to comment here. I think South Africa's led the way um, amongst a few, one of the very few countries to have recommended PrEP mm-hmm. going forward. And for that, we're very thankful. But I think that if we are going to introduce it, it is something new in the health systems. Yes. And I'm not sure that we will be, I'm not sure that self-testing will be the best way of doing it. Yeah. I think in an experimental introduction of it, mm. we're probably going to want much more tightly controlled clinical testing. Yeah. Um, because it's experimental. That, that would be my guess. But then once you've moved into longer phases, um, and so the WHO guidelines also distinguish now between, um, different groups that we should look at as we implement both PrEP and test and treat, I think then you could move to self-testing. I think something that's going to be critical with with PrEP and and testing is 
that window period mm. uh, and, and seroconversion. And seroconversion means the period between HIV negative and HIV positive, yes. if put simplistically. In that period, um, if somebody seroconverts, their regimen needs to change. Yes. And, you know, it's essential that people test often enough that yeah. they know that they've now seroconverted and that they go to their clinic. And why why this needs to happen is that we could have huge cases of drug resistance mm. coming up if somebody's on treatment and then they seroconvert. So with the self-test, what is the window period approximately? So the window period is still three months. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's there's very little way around that. Yes. Uh, they are looking at more uh, sensitive tests coming out in the market, fourth generation tests uh, within the next year or two, mm-hmm. which will be a lot more sensitive and be able to pick up uh, antibodies in, the, in, in, a, in a shorter window period. But we still way off from that. It still needs to be clinically tested. So currently the tests are third generation? Yeah. Self-tests? All the self-tests are third generation at the moment. Um, Can we explain what that means, please? So third generation, um, meaning what it's testing for, uh, the anti- HIV antibodies um, and and the, the mechanism by which we, we test for HIV. Um, and the difference between a third and a fourth generation. Mm-hmm. So with the third generation, I believe you're looking purely for the antibodies, but whereas the fourth generation actually also looks for the P24 sure. antigen. So yeah. has a slightly uh, reduced, more sensitive, yeah. Yeah, more reduced window. Okay. So, Mohamed, at the beginning, you talked about regulation, um, and I particularly want to go back to this because you talk about one area where self-testing may be useful is adolescent girls or adolescents generally. Now, surely that is probably a little bit of a of – a, it is one of our, our areas where, particularly in the girls, we see our highest rates of new infections, but also a tricky group to deal with uh, and in terms of people feeling rather protective about children and adolescents. So can you talk to us a little bit about regulation and, and where that fits in? Yeah, so the problem we face is that we don't have regulation in South Africa at the moment. And because we have an unregulated space, uh, there's uncertainty as to what needs to be done. What sort of information do we need to gather? Uh, What sort of minimum evidence do you need to provide in order for you uh, to get your test out into the market? Now, the Medicines Control Council in South Africa have set up a committee called SAPRA, the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority, but this body has not yet fully functioned. And part of their mandate will be monitoring and evaluating HIV tests or mm-hmm. medical devices, a range of medical devices. So until that happens, we really, uh, you know, we, we, we're not too sure where this is going. So what we're doing in South Africa is we're taking our, our lead from what's happening in the United States, what's happening in the UK, what's happening in France, and we're following the line of the Food and Drug Administration in the United States, the FDA. So in the United States, uh, the first device that was approved for self-testing was called the, the Oroquick Rapid HIV Self-Test, which is an oral fluid test. And yeah. This was done in 2012. So what we've done in South Africa in this unregulated space um, is almost trying to circumvent the regulations that will come out. Yeah. Um, and what we said is, let's do a set of evaluations uh, on, on HIV self-testing uh, that will mimic what was done in the United States mm-hmm. by the FDA and, and try and follow that as the minimum criteria. We know the FDA is really stringent, really, yes. you know. So if we can take a leaf out of their book and follow what was done in the United States, we're quite confident that in South Africa, you know, it, it will meet those standards. Okay. What about the World Health Organization? Do they provide any guidance or guidelines around this? Yeah, so South Africa are signatory to 
WHO um, and belong to the WHO and often follow normative guidance yeah. that comes out of, uh, out of Geneva. Uh, in the self-testing space, we have not yet received normative guidance. And mm-hmm. I think one of the major reasons for that happening is that we just have a scarcity of data at this mm-hmm. point. So there are a lot of studies being done worldwide and around self-testing. A lot of them are quite small, and a lot of them are just looking at acceptability. Yeah, Are people going to do this or are people not going to do this? What we need is actually for these devices to be evaluated on a large scale. And over the last year or so... We've seen a lot more of this research coming to the mm-hmm. fore, uh, especially in Africa. And, and, and Jono can talk about some of this, the, the countries that they're involved in, uh, looking at starting their own HIV self-testing evaluation programs. And we'd be doing the same thing in South Africa. So something that's very important uh, in this space that we've been talking about a lot over the last few months in, in self-testing is called the WHO pre-qualification. Yes. Now, I spoke earlier about the professional use product. Yes. Any professional use product that wants to be listed on the WHO's list of uh, preferred tests uh, or preferred supplier list needs to go through a process called pre-qualification. Mm-hmm. And what this entails is the WHO independently testing or validating those devices in their off-site labs, uh, then doing a site uh, inspection of your production facility, and then asking you for a dossier of evidence asking you for a dossier of evidence around the device that you're putting out onto the market. Yeah. So that's the pre-qualification for a professional use product. It's done in an off-site laboratory. What we need is WHO pre-qualification to come up with a set of standards for evaluation of a self-testing device. Yeah. Now, the major difference here, the major difference between the professional use product and the self-test is the user, the person that's conducting the test. Whereas professional use product is done in laboratory by trained professionals, a self-test is done by, can be done by anybody and everybody. Yeah. And we need to uh, take cognizance that it could ha- land up in the hands of somebody who's unskilled, uneducated. And if that happens, how do we ensure that the person can do the test? Mm. So WHO pre-qualification have yet to come up with their requirements for what is required uh, by them. Um they have said to us that within the next few months, by the end of February, they will have their requirements. Mm. And what we're doing in South Africa is we're trying to to assist device manufacturers in trying to get the data that's required in order to um, to bridge the gap and get this pre-qualification done. Okay, great. So one of the other things I wanted to ask you was in terms of self-test, I guess the one thing that's different is obviously it's self-administered. But in South Africa, we still have a requirement around pre-test counselling, which I guess is something that will be missing with the self-testing. And particularly, I think people might worry when you talk about using this test now in adolescence, minus the pre-test counselling. Do you want to comment on that at all? Yeah, that's the biggest question that I get Mm. when I discuss this with anybody. For sure. uh, Is that what happens to the counselling? And what we're saying is that pre-test counseling is not as important as post-test counseling. We are no longer in the early 90s in South Africa. I think everybody's quite aware of what HIV is about. Uh, HIV is no longer a death sentence as well. It's something we must take cognizance of. Mm. Uh, Coming back to the counseling, people know about counseling. And and the way counseling is currently being done in our clinics is not efficient, Mm. is not being done correctly, Mm. uh, and it's purely a waste of time at at this point. And I've spoken to many, many people who said that the person that counseled them actually knew a lot less than what they knew about HIV. So what we're saying is 
pre-test counseling might not yet might not be as important as what happens after a person tests. Yeah. And that's what we really need to ensure mm. with HIV self-testing is that if you test and you need somebody to talk to, how do we make that accessible? Mm-hmm. And more importantly, how do we link somebody to care mm. once they've tested? So if you test positive, what is your next step and how are you going to interpret your next step? Uh, and, and that's sort of the, the type of data that's missing. Yes. Uh, this programmatic implementation type of stuff is missing. Mm. And that's why WHO have not come up with normative guidance. Until we get this in place, uh, they're not quite sure about how to go about doing it. So the data being missing, is it missing because people don't know how to do that? Or is it just missing because it, we haven't done it yet? It's missing because it's a really new thing. Yeah. Uh, HIV self-tests have really just been around since 2012 uh, in the formal market. Yeah. Uh, and I think South Africa's and the rest of Africa's playing catch up. Yes. Um, there are currently only three countries in the world which have distinct policies around self-testing. The United States, uh, the United Kingdom and France. Yeah. And, and there exists an entire spectrum of policies and, and um, uh, around self-testing. Uh, on the one hand, you have countries like the US, the yeah. UK and, and France, which make it explicitly legal and have Devices which have been evaluated are on sale. On the other extreme, you have countries which have made it explicitly illegal for you to conduct an HIV self-test. Mm-hmm. And one of our neighboring countries, Botswana, is one of them that has that. Um, the other one being uh, Germany. And in between that, there, there there's a plethora of countries yes. with uh, different s- stages of their HIV self-testing policy development, South Africa being one of those. Mm. I think in Africa, Kenya would be the furthest along in trying to get their HIV self-testing policies going. But I know Jono uh, and his team at SAT had compiled a um, quite a extensive legal uh, landscape for HIV self-testing for the sub-Saharan African countries or East African countries. Thanks, Mohamed. We're going to take a quick ad break and then we're going to listen to a tune. And then I think when we come back, it would be great to pick up there with you, Jono, just checking about the the more regional perspective. Good stuff. Thanks. This is cliffcentral.com. Health Hour on cliffcentral.com. Welcome back. And uh, if you'd like to chat to us in the studio or if you want to get in touch, please feel free to do so. The way to do so is we're at cliffcentral.com and you can either call in on 0861-555-189. Let me give you that again. 0861-555-189. You can also use Twitter at cliffcentral.com or Facebook, Cliff Central, or we have a WeChat ID as well, which is Cliff Central. And to send a message on WeChat, tap connect and then uh, message to show. So please feel free to get in to contact us and we can either take a call and answer your questions, anything you'd like to know about HIV self-testing, which is the topic of discussion this morning. So where we finished off, uh, we were about to go and chat to Jono. Jono is from the uh, Southern African AIDS Trust and he was going to talk to us a little bit more about the regional um, aspects of um, HIV self-testing. I'm going to take us back a step first, sure. if I may, to, to the counselling and just to add to some of what Mohammed was saying. Perfect. I, I mean, I think... I was going to say all of us, but maybe not all of us in the country, but many of us have experienced really, really rubbish counseling. Yeah. And I think that, that point is one that holds. The other, the other thing, point I think to make is that even if we see tests freely available in chemists, um, or spas or, you know, whatever, to what extent one takes it, it's still a big step to go and buy one. Mm. So in a sense, one's put oneself through some form of self-counseling. Yeah. You, you've maybe talked to your best friend, your best mate. You've talked to somebody in your church group. Mm. 
or you've thought about it a lot and you've got a reason for going to test. Or you've Googled. Whatever you, yeah, you've Googled, whatever you've done. This, there is preparation for going to buy that test yeah. and then take the test yourself. And I think that's an element that, that people leave out very often. I think the other thing is that, as Mohammed pointed out, at this point in the epidemic, if people don't know that basic information, yes. it's a failure of government. To have provided that information via the different elements of media. Yeah. Um, that shouldn't be coming per test. It should be out there in the ether that we're getting it all the time. Um, and I think also the final point is that kits can come with an element of guidance. Mm. So, for example, hotlines can be built into the, the paperwork that comes with a, a kit. Also, specific websites, go to the website, find out where your nearest test site is, yeah. go onto an app on your phone and find out where the nearest test site is. Perfect. Those are forms of guidance that come, can come with tests. Mm-hmm. So it's not as if there's going to be no counseling or guidance before tests. Thank so, okay, you. so move, moving off that, moving back to the regional. Um, I, I, Mohammed pointed out Botswana has just recently, in fact, about a year and a half ago, very sadly passed legislation that I think unintentionally made self-testing illegal. When I say unintentionally, it, it made forms of unsupervised testing illegal. I see. But I don't think anyone had uppermost in their minds at the time, ooh, let's ban self-test kits from the country. Yeah. I just think self-test kits went on the radar. Mm. So this legislation is now in place, and of course it's very difficult to turn legislation around in very short periods of time. Um, the good news side is Tanzania moving ahead. Um, they've put a national technical working group in place to look at what's needed. Yeah. I think in Malawi, we see the national strategic plan for HIV and AIDS talks about self-testing. Yeah. Um, and the government of Zimbabwe is making noises about approving self-testing and going forward. So I think there is movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the part of the world where there has to be movement. For sure. And Mohammed mentioned Kenya being quite far along on the track there. I, I am not that familiar with Kenya, but I, I believe yeah. that it is something they've started working on and started introducing. I, and I'm I just wondering if we know about the uptake. That. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, no, no. Um, I know that it's, it's not one of the countries fall under SAT. It's yeah. not a country that I've worked closely with, but I was aware that uh, chatting to people at WHO to say that said that Kenya and Ethiopia are actually quite far along in development of their policies. So, Mohammed, I believe you have a couple of kits that you've brought with you. And I'm just wondering if maybe while we carry on with the show, why don't we actually – do you want to take us through a test? Do you want to talk us through it? I'm happy to be a guinea pig. <laughs> sure. So, I have two types of kits here today. I should Perfect. actually cover the manufacturer's names here. <laughs> um, I have one finger sp- uh, prick test and one oral test. Uh, the old test is the most commonly used one mm-hmm. internationally. Uh, it's the first one that was approved in the United States. Okay. Um, and it's absolutely simple, and you, you'll see the process once we go through with it, uh, how it occurs. Um, Perfect. Let me just find my stand here. <laughs> so essentially how it will work is that... Um, the mouth needs to be rinsed. Yes. And once it's rinsed, it's basically you swab in your gums. Mm-hmm. Once around, you open up the tube of buffer, you place it in there, and you leave your, your device on the counter for 15 to 20 minutes. Okay. And within 15 to 20 minutes, your little read window will come up with the results. Okay. So, very simple. Uh, and the main thing comes down to the interpretation of the results. And this is where your instructions for use need to be on sp- on point. Yeah. Um, you need to be able to say one line means HIV negative, two lines mean HIV positive, mm-hmm. 
uh, the wrong line means that the test is invalid. Yeah. So there are five different types of results that can be obtained. And the important thing is being able to, to interpret your result correctly. Mm-hmm. So that's your, 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 your oral-based device, um, which is very commonly used in workplace programs and, and so forth. Yeah. The other device is uh, a finger prick, and I've only brought one of the several that we've been evaluating in South Africa. Um, so what you do here is you'd, uh, you wash your fingers and make sure that they, they're nice and clean. What you do is rub them for the, about 5 to 10 seconds just mm-hmm. to get some blood flow going in your finger. You choose a finger. Usually one of these three fingers, the middle three fingers, would be the best to use. Yeah. Uh, you rub it so you get a good blood flow. Um, you then place your finger next to the um, little needle, um, which you can't see, which yes. is quite, quite nice for people with fear of needles. And you <laughs> gently press, mm. and what will happen, the needle will fire. So very much like the finger prick test you do for self-testing for blood sugar and that. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really, really painless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you, you prick your finger and a blood drop will form. Yeah. A nice big blood drop is formed and placed next to the collection tube. Yeah. Uh, blood will flow into the collection tube. You then transfer it over. You pour one drop of your buffer, uh, two drops of your buffer into mm-hmm. the window um, and... 15 minutes later, you can have an HIV result. Okay, so these tests are really simple. So the needle-based <coughs> test, are all of them like that, where I get the idea that that one, the needle pops up, but it actually retracts there after? It's a retractable needle. And yeah. are all of them like that? Because no, I mean, not that all. might be a question about what do you do if you're doing a self-prick test and you've got now bloody lancets, etc. Yeah, so that's really the prerogative of the device manufacturers. Mm. We really haven't suggested anything to them. Um there are some which have retractable lancets, which are actually fantastic, so you don't have to worry about discarding sharps. Whereas you do have device manufacturers that have separate lancets, which yes. then need to be discarded in, in a different manner. Yeah. So, yeah, they exist different types of devices with different mechanisms. And I guess with the ease or that type of complexity will alter the costs of them. I mean, what are we looking at in terms of costs of a test? Yeah, so the costs are one of my greatest concerns uh, yeah. around HIV self-testing devices. And we cannot, certainly cannot go on the prices that they're talking about in the United States and, and the UK. And I had a very frank discussion with the device manufacturers, with all of the device manufacturers, telling them that, if you are going to price point it anywhere close to what you're doing in the United States, there is no way the South African government, the South African market's going to it's going to take. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran a focus group in September last year, and in that focus group, we we did some price point surveillance, and most people said they'd be willing to pay up to about fifty rand for an HIV self test. Sure. Uh, the price I, I don't want to talk about the prices in the United <laughs> States because it might scare everybody off yeah. uh, HIV self testing. Um, but just knowing that we are working with the device manufacturers in coming up with price points that would be acceptable to the South African market. And that's all part of the bigger research that needs to be done. Um, John has spoke about the helpline, um, linkage to care. Those are all types of questions that we need to answer by doing research. Mm. And we're really in the infancy of the research in South Africa. Mm, sure. Sean, may I make a point? I mean, one, one of the things, if we do begin to think that self-testing is crucial yeah. to the, the beating of HIV, then we need to be talking to global institutions. Yeah. So the Global Fund and others need to be putting it onto essential commodities lists, mm-hmm. WHO and others, and the global pool to bring down prices. And mm-hmm. I think we can see prices come down dramatically. 
we've seen time after time prices were unachievable mm. on medicines, on various other things. And by pooling them and by public pressure and by activism, we've brought those prices down. I think we need to see the same around self-testing. I mean, is it naive to think that next to every condom vending machine or every condom dispensing unit, there should not be a test dispensing unit? Did you say next year? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just asked if it was naive to think so. In the near future, I don't, I, I don't think so. Yeah, yeah I, I think... I think it's a possibility, but I think it needs to be a, b- a lot more targeted mm. in the way that we distribute HIV self-tests. Um, if you'd ask my boss, Professor Franz Fenter, where would he like to see HIV self-tests? The answer would be everywhere, anywhere yes. and everywhere. However, um, we do believe that there's a huge opportunity. Example, the 24-hour filling station shops yes. uh, right there next to the condoms yes. uh, would be a prime place for HIV self-tests to, to sit. It might be a bit of a mood killer, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Um, a lot of these 24 hour stores have also these, uh, medical dispensing, mm, uh, medical vending your, machines. Your headache mm. tablets and mm. things like exactly. that. Exactly. And that would be a prime location for an HIV mm. test. And obviously we'd like to see them being stocked in your discams and your clicks. Mm. Um, and then also in the government sector through, through public and uh, primary healthcare facilities mm. making available there. Not quite next to the condoms, but <laughs> you know, having a mechanism via which you can collect a self-test. Okay, great. Just in terms of going back to some of the um, considerations, we've spoken about the pre-test counselling because I know that that's one thing that people do still tend to get a little bit hysterical about, and I I take on board your points. I tend to agree with you. My other question would be what are other ethical considerations around it? I mean, there is possibly the... An element of abuse that could come in with coerced testing or gender-based violence and, and that kind of thing. Could, could you perhaps mm. talk to that a little bit, Jono? Yeah, sure. I mean, th- this is the elephant in the room. This is yes. the, this is the, the fight back that terrible things will happen. People will be coerced. People will commit suicide. Mm. Um, I think there's been a lot of fear around this and there are, there are a number of, of comebacks, if you like, to that. I think that my response on the coercion one is a, is a careful one because I think human rights abuses have been enormous around HIV and, and continue to be Absolutely, enormous around yeah. HIV. Um, but in a sense, I, I'm not sure in, in what ways self-testing is going to increase that likelihood mm. in institutional ways. I think we see employers already using that. Yeah. I think we see in institutionalized sex work, not so much in South Africa, but in other places in the world, people already using that, the forced, mm. the forced testing. Um, and it's not clear that this will increase that in any way. I think there, there, People talk about couples and whether there'll be forced testing in amongst yes. couples. Again, I'm not sure that I'm really in a position to comment on that. Mm-hmm. But I think some of the fears are scarily similar to the fears we saw around pregnancy tests. Yes. You know, if we go back to the 1950s and 60s, as a woman, you'd have to get your husband's written permission to have a pregnancy test. Mm-hmm. And the results would be mailed to him in the post. <laughs> um, and the and the, the, the Issues around that were we thought women couldn't handle it. They'd commit suicide if they found out they were pregnant and unmarried. What if they were Catholic? What if this? What if that? Yeah. I think we've moved beyond that. Um, and I think we need to move beyond that in terms of health and self-ownership of health. And we've done it in other areas in very successful ways. People self-medicate. People self-test in a number of other areas. Mm. We're keeping the discrimination around HIV but not allowing it in HIV. Mm. We should normalize it. So it is the same as other areas of, of self-control of health. For sure. Yeah, so this 
is another example of us moving into the space of AIDS exceptionalism, yes. which we had with antiretrovirals and a whole lot of other things around HIV and AIDS uh, in the early in the 90s and early 2000s. And straight to Jono's point, um, is it not dangerous for somebody to get an, a pregnancy test? If an adolescent child um, gets a pregnancy test and they find out they, are they, they are pregnant, are they not driven to do something dangerous, commit suicide? So mm. we cannot have exceptionalism for HIV self-testing um, based on something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk about suicide, um, the, the research that was recently completed by Liz Corbett's group in Malawi uh, mm. with 14,500 people, uh, participants on the trial, uh, there was one case of suicide. And even that one case of suicide, uh, the researchers believe it could not be attested to uh, self-testing. So... So what was that figure again? One in? 14,500 people on the research. So I, I'm not convinced that, you know, we, we, we will not get... Not actually lower than what the overall rate of suicide is in the general population. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, we, we cannot uh, take the, the, that as a... Ca- I mean, it's the first time that research in that level has been mm. done. Um, but I don't think the suicide level is going to be attested mm. to self-testing. No. Michelle, the other, the other thing that I'm worried about is there's African exceptionalism. Yes. You know, if, if we think that people, including older adolescents in the United States and France and the UK, are competent to do this, why are we not competent on, the, on this continent? Absolutely. You know, we heard, when we heard this around HIV a long time ago, Africans couldn't keep time, so we wouldn't be able to do ARTs. Yes. Um, ARVs, rather, sorry. All of those exceptionalisms were... We're mm. an R racist. Mm. And so I think if, if we're moving to legalize across the world and think it can be handled, then it can certainly be handled here. And I don't know, Mohammed, I don't know if you know whether there's been any adverse reports from those three countries. Certainly not at a level enough to make the regulators sit up and pay, pay attention. And it's been legal for over two years in France, I think over yeah. two years in the United States and about a year in the United Kingdom. Yes. And none of those. Yes, and and I mean those are countries that are very heavily regulated, and so absolutely know, any signal there would have been. Yeah, the, the FDA, the FDA obviously uh, have a keen eye on on what's happening in the self testing space, and the device manufacturer that uh, the device manufacturer that uh, launched the product in the United States had to set up a helpline. We've mm. spoken about the helpline. They had to set up a helpline specifically for this. And what they shown was that the helpline was used in less than 5% of cases. Mm-hmm. And when the helpline was used, it was more like questions of um, which clinic do I go to or how do I open the packaging, not around I need somebody to talk to around uh, the result that mm-hmm. I've obtained. So I, I'm saying that within South Africa, we need to set up a helpline as well. And we need to monitor the usage of, so, uh, of such helpline, uh, but whether that will be required in, in the future, mm. I'm not too sure. Things like apps and the internet yes. are definitely some, uh, the way to go around HIV self-testing. And we're currently working with groups that are setting up mm. HIV self-testing websites and apps um, to make it user-friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and this will all be rolled out as part of our research in the next few years. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that's worldwide. Uh, in, in over 30 trials that are happening worldwide, 
nobody's using the phone lines or the helplines. Yeah. When I say nobody, statistically, nobody. Very few people are using them and they're not using them for the big serious issues. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, it's quite reassuring and it's quite interesting. It seems to be the way we're going. We're kind of less interactive and chatty, but more into our apps and, and those types of things. Okay. So, Mohammed, I wanted to ask you another question. Um, and I don't know, you may or may not have an answer for me on this one, but just in terms of where we are at the moment, it's great we're having this chat and I think all of us are on the same page that is, that, that self-testing is something that needs to happen, uh, not just in terms of what it adds to people in terms of being able to own their health and, and take ownership of that, but also just in terms of reaching those UNAIDS 90-90 targets. Are you aware of, of where the, the South African Department of Health stands with regard to HIV testing? I think the South African government is a lot more accepting of the discussion than they were two years ago mm-hmm. at this current point. And I think a lot of the this has stemmed from noises and f- movements happening in other countries. So, yes, um, I think the South African position at, the, at this point is that we are waiting for guidance from the WHO. Mm-hmm. I think South Africa will go with what happens with the WHO, and as soon as normative guidance comes out of that, uh, I think South Africa will follow suit quite quickly. Uh, but I also think that they are waiting for South African-specific data mm-hmm. uh, before we can move it. And wh- what we're doing at RHI is trying to compile this data mm-hmm. so that we can, as advocates of HIV self-test, uh, want to shape policy, uh, provide the data that will be required by government for this. Okay. Okay. And Jonathan, what is the community saying about self-testing? The community. <laughs> um, I would never speak on behalf of the community. I think I think communities are largely unaware of self-testing, mm. um, except where there have been pilots or, or trials that have run. Um, but if I hazard a guess, what the communities are needing and wanting around mm. testing is quicker, cheaper, better. Yeah. Um, and when we talk about the cost of kits, you have to remember that to take a day off work, to catch a bus or, or several taxis to get mm. to your nearest clinic, which may be a hell of a long way away, and then wait for hours, get a test, go back, and then go back for your results later is much more expensive than the likely market cost of a test kit. Mm. So quicker, cheaper, better is what communities are asking for in terms of all all health services. So I have a question for you based on what you said then. You mentioned that um, the community is probably largely unaware of it. So is there a lot of advocacy work to be done or is it premature? <laughs> Mohammed, have a go and then I have a go. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think... It's going to it's going to require a multifaceted approach, uh, both from the government, from the device manufacturers, uh, from NGOs, uh, to get the awareness out there. Mm. At the at this point uh, in South Africa, the awareness of HIV self testing is almost on ground zero. I think a lot of work needs to happen uh, mm. in trying to get the messaging out there in terms of the advocacy uh, that we need to be doing around this. But I think government first need to make the step before anybody else. Um, comes into the market. Uh, I think there's a huge hesitancy from device manufacturers because of uncertainty, yeah. uncertainty in government. If government can come up with a strict um, regulation t- uh, to know that these are the standards that we're looking for. At this point, uh, people are fearful that government can turn around tomorrow and say that we make self-testing illegal in South Africa and the investment that you've put into the country, the investments you put in terms of your R&D to uh, come up with these uh, devices will all go down the drain. So 
I think people, uh, all mm-hmm. the device manufacturers are actually waiting to see what moves government make before they move. Uh, understandably. Michelle, I, I, I hazard a guess at what we're going to see. This is an idea whose time has come. Yeah. And I think we're going to see it happen like cell phones. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to roll it out carefully and cons- in a considered way with key populations, men who have sex with men, sex workers, people who use drugs, yeah. discordant couples. And I think that the publicity of the convenience of it is yes. going to overtake the rollout. And I think demand is going to go viral. For sure. Okay, that's That would great. be my prediction. Yeah. Mohammed, just to ask you a little bit more about in terms of research questions, what are some of the things we still need to know? And maybe tell us a little bit about your research. So there's a lot that needs to be done in the research space. And I think there's a lot that has been done within mm. the last few years. Um, towards the end of last year, we received two major grants from the Gates Foundation out of Seattle and out of AIDS funds in Netherlands to conduct HIV self-testing research in South Africa. Fantastic. So AdWords RHI will be doing an evaluation of three to four devices in targeted populations and going through a phased approach uh, similar to what was done by uh, the FDA in the United States. So I'll quickly talk about each phase of the, of the evaluation. So Perfect. the first evaluation is a usability usability assessment. Mm-hmm. Um, we provide people with mm-hmm. a mocked up result, yeah. uh, one of the five types of results that you can get, and we ask them, please can you interpret it for us? Yeah. Uh, so can people follow the instructions for use? That is absolutely key to this. So before we can even think about taking this into a clinical setting where yeah. people are actually testing themselves, let's provide them with mocked up results. Let's see how they actually perform the test while actually not performing the test. Yeah. So there's no result riding on it. Um, so that's the first phase of evaluation. We'll be looking around 200 participants per device. Our second evaluation is then, can we then mirror the standards or what? how close do we get to the standards of the professional use product? So in mm-hmm. our second evaluation, we'll be comparing the professional use product with the HIV self-test, and this will be in the hands of professional users. Yeah. So your nurses, your primary healthcare workers, your laboratory technicians, anybody that's a fay with conducting uh, HIV tests will be provided with a Mm self-test and then we'll conduct a laboratory-based test to to see how they match up to each other. That's our second phase of evaluation. Then our third phase of evaluation, which is the most important phase of evaluation, is self-testing in the hands of untrained, unskilled general population. If we give it to Joe Soap on the road tomorrow, can he interpret the instructions for use without any assistance? So we'll be sitting back and observing how this process unfolds. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll be doing this for all, all four of the different devices. And we'll be doing a po- target population of 1,500 individuals. And just to observe, where are mistakes <laughs> being made? Uh, are they not pricking themselves correctly? Are yeah. they not waiting 20 minutes? Are they... Interpreting the results incorrectly So it's a phased approach yes. we, We're not just jumping in and giving the test to everybody mm-hmm. And saying test yourself It's a phased approach, Is logic behind what we're doing um, And once we have that phase done uh, The fourth phase The research questions that we're going to be asking The other really interesting ones Is that how do we implement this in a programmatic level yeah. How do we roll this out to clinics How do we ensure that people who test positive Are linked to key And how do we yes. monitor that people that have tested are they are they entering the system? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the social issues that we have? Are we seeing issues of gender-based violence? Mm-hmm. Are we seeing suicides? Um, the the, the helpline mm-hmm. is the helpline being used effectively? How is it being used? What type of questions are being mm-hmm. asked? Are the apps being used? Are the websites being mm-hmm. used? Um, what sort of uh, economical impact will HIV self-test have on the government? So 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of questions that we have to answer, and I think the next three years are going to be really important for the space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know RHI will be doing our part, but I know across the continent there are other groups that are doing uh, lots of research as well. Thank you very much. Any last words from you, Jonathan? No, not really. Just that we really need this. We need it quickly across the region. And communities definitely need it. Brilliant. Thank you both so much for joining me today. It's been fantastic having you here. And I want to say thank you to everybody for listening. And I hope you found the show to be interesting and informative. And that's it from Health Hour. Bye-bye. Health Hour on cliffcentral.com.